grandchildren, when you're talking to your college students, when you're talking to your neighbors, when you're talking to, to, to those that have been duped into believing the big lie. I mean, we live in a culture that is constantly lying to, to people, preaching a false gospel, saying this is what's going to bring life, but it brings death. This is what's going to bring you joy and happiness, but it brings misery and, and sorrow. We, we have a culture out there currently right now that is being destroyed by the kingdom of darkness. And the church of, the, of Jesus Christ needs to be prepared. Needs to be pre- prepared to be the hospital, the emergency room for those individuals when, when they come in. I mean, we, we've got people that are, that are being um, taken into the lie that, that if, if you mutilate your body to become another gender, that's what will make you happy. If you sterilize yourself, if you, if you just do this inconvenient momentary procedure to get rid of a clump of cells, everything's going to be better. And it's, it's all lies. It's all lies and it destroys humanity. It destroys culture. It destroys people. And that's why it's necessary that we have this conversation. <laughs> and there's probably people in your life that it's necessary that you have this conversation with. Don't shrink back. In love, speak the truth. So today we're going to take, in the best way that I can do it, I'm going to try to, what is God's response to all this? What is God's response? What is God's response to our brokenness? What is God's response to the chaos that we find ourselves in? What, what is God's response to us taking a life? What is God's response to, to all the damage that we have done to ourselves and to, to others? In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, I, I, I don't want to just springboard off this, but I can't just run past it. What was, what was God when He came in the flesh? What was He filled with? Was He filled with law? Was He filled with rules and regulations? Was He, was he filled with condemnation and rage and anger? Was he? No. He was filled with what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. You cannot have truth if you do not have grace. And it's the truth that sets you free in the grace of God. Amen? That's what he came to reveal about our Heavenly Father. Do you know that a crisis pregnancy saved the world? Do you know a crisis pregnancy saved the world? See, we like to think about Jesus, and when we think about Jesus, we we tend to think of Jesus, you know, as a grown man, you know, walking 
the shores of Galilee, walking over the rough terrain of, of Israel, right? Sleeping outside under tents, you know, the manly man type thing. He's out in the elements. Um, he's off fighting demons, healing the sick, and fighting religious, self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees and, and uh, taking no prisoners, right? And preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. That's how we like to picture Jesus. Jesus did all this. Jesus did all this and more. But However, before He was walking on the shores of Galilee, before He was a grown man, He was being carried around as an incarnate God, as a human zygote in the womb of His mother Mary. Think about that. Think about the humility of our God. The humility of our God to become a baby in a womb, dependent on his mother. See, theologians say that God became a man to identify with our humanity, and that's true. But God also became a baby to identify with their humanity as well. No one has more insight to the womb or sympathy for those in the womb than our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows exactly what it's like to be an unborn baby that is born into the world. He knows what it means to grow into adolescence and adulthood. He understands puberty. Are the young people here? You don't think that God doesn't understand the things that you deal with in your life. He understands, He went through the exact same things that you go through. So He is a person that you can turn to in the midst of pressure, in the midst of chaos in your own life, in the midst of not knowing your meaning and why you're here and all of those things, Jesus understands those same questions because He dealt with them as a young teenage boy. Stop to consider for a moment that God who made everything Himself became an unborn baby. That's amazing to think. See, if we are a Christian, the, 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 this abortion debate hits close to home. Because our gospel, our salvation, is dependent on a birth of a baby. Think about this. Mary was probably a teenager, right? Probably poor, middle class, lower middle class, right? Possibly uneducated because of the culture and the times that they lived in. And she was living in a small, rural town. On top of that, she wasn't wanting a baby. Did you ever think about that? Mary wasn't wanting a baby. She wasn't planning on having a child. 
This explains why she remained a virgin. Why did she remain a virgin? Because she didn't want to have kids. She didn't want to have kids until she was married. Mary got pregnant out of wedlock. Although it was by a miracle of God, by Holy Spirit, she still lived in a highly religious ancient culture. Think about this. She was facing a life as a poor, likely uneducated, very young mother with a ruined reputation in a religious town. If she walked into a clinic today, we know what she would be encouraged to do. Let that sink in. See, most, theologi most theologians believe that Mary was somewhere between 12 and 14 years of age. Think about that. She's about 12 to 14 years of age when she, Gabriel pays her the visit. But Mary gave birth to God. Jesus came into the world through the womb of a woman who fits the stereotype of someone who the peddlers of death say should get an abortion. A crisis pregnancy saved the world. How many of you are thankful that, for, that Mary was courageous? That she courageously brought Jesus into the world so that we could be rescued from death. Thank God for Mary. Thank God for being courageous. Thank God for her trusting God that can t take what seems to be evil, seems to be life-destroying, and turn it around and turn it into the greatest good for all humanity. See, that's one of the things that... that this religion of, of the pro-choice movement does is they take God out of the situation. You know, everything that happens in your life, no matter if in the forefront of looking at your future and thinking, this is going to destroy my life. We can say, but God. But God. The Bible is filled with stories of God stepping in, of people having making mistakes, doing the wrong thing, having a choice set before them, and choosing God and seeing Him turn what looked like evil into something good, something that brings life, something that restores, something that brings joy and fulfillment. The greatest movement of any sort or kind in the history of the world, is the Christian faith. Jesus Christ looms largely over history that we measure historical time by in the context of His life. Right? B.C. refers to before Christ. And A.D., Anano, Anano Dimani, 
Sure. Means the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. So, history is divided by Jesus. Before and after. Our biggest holidays are dedicated to Him. We celebrate His birth every Christmas and His resurrection every Easter. Nations, causes, and leaders have come and gone. But for more than 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has spread from one nation to the nations. It spread from one language, the Hebrew language, to thousands of languages, and from one generation to generation after generation. Christianity ranks as the most popular religion, largest, besides the religion of sex, right? The longest standing movement of any kind in, of, in the history of the planet, and more than 2 billion people today claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. Human history would be completely different if it were not for John the Baptizer, right? That's, that, that, that paved the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. And do you know that John the Baptist, John, was a crisis pregnancy also? Both Jesus and John's lives began with a divine announcement that they would be sons with names and destinies from their mother's womb. John's mother Elizabeth would today be a candidate for an abortion because she was elderly. She had been barren all her life, making this an unplanned and high-risk pregnancy. Thank God that Jesus' mother Mary and John's mother Elizabeth were both pro-life, as all of God's people are. Think about that. Do you, do, you, do you think that God would see where we would be today and, and to choose these crisis pregnancies out of, out of the cultural context of what was proper in those days so that we would have an example that God chooses things that look like crises in our life to make things beautiful. In Matthew 1, 18-20... Well, not going to 25. Huh? Matthew 1, 21. I don't know what, where I got that. but She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Of all the ways that God could have chosen to save humanity from the cancer of sin and death, He chose a birth. He chose a birth. And because of that, we don't have to be imprisoned to our past. Our failures. We don't have to be imprisoned to our shame and our regret. We can have hope. We can be saved. Because God, the Savior, was born. Throughout this series, we have covered a lot of hard truths. Many such truths we choose to deny. We choose to suppress. And for some people, they do verbal gymnastics to explain these truths away. Many of these truths are painful. Many of these truths cause anger. 
because of people buying into the big lie of the pro-choice religion. That's why I want to take time at the end of the series answering the following questions to you and for, those, for all those that have ears to hear. What happens? What happens to me and my baby if we had an abortion? And this also applies to anyone that has lost a child. In Revelation 21, verse 4, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If you, de if you were deceived by the lie of abortion, rather if you've had one, you, you've uh, talked someone into it, you've performed one, or you assisted in one, you need to know this. You need to know this above all things. God loves you. God loves you. God's love for you is no greater before an abortion or no less after an abortion. God's heart for you is that of a loving father. A father's heart for his child. He loves you with an unquenchable love that can never be extinguished. Yes, He's grieved by our decisions. But, for, but His love is based solely on His character, on His grace, on who He is. The Bible says that God is love. Isn't it wonderful to know that our God is love itself? It's love itself. To know that our God is love. He can't do anything but love you. In our relationship with God, His love towards us has nothing to do with our moral works on our actions, on our performance, whether they're good or bad. How many are you happy for that? Amen. God could not love you any more than He does right now. And He can't love you any less than He loves you right now. You are loved by your Heavenly Father. Aren't you thank thankful for that? I am so glad. Knowing me, I know myself better than you know me. And I am so thankful that God loves me. Amen. The next thing you need to know is that Jesus Christ forgives. Jesus Christ forgives sinners, even those who take life. Understand that. Here's the thing that, that people seem to fail to understand. People get upset when we say that you are a sinner and you need forgiveness. You need to receive the forgiveness of God. They get upset with that. It's, it's not like we're saying that we're righteous and you're the sinner. We were all sinners. And we all can be righteous through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We can all be made in right standing with God. And the reason why we need to be put in right standing with God is not because for God's sake. It's for your sake. 
It's renewing your mind to understand that God is not holding anything against you. And by understanding that God's not holding anything against me, I can run into my Father's arms. I don't have to hide from Him. Think about that. Have you, has anybody here ever owed someone a debt? They owed someone some money, right? And, you, and maybe you hadn't, didn't have the money to pay them right away. So wherever you're going in the shopping, you're in like a grocery store, and you go down the aisle and you see the person that you owe a debt to. Do you walk right up to them and say, hey, how you doing? No, what do you do? Whoop, we're not going down that way. We're not getting any cereal today, kids. Right? You avoid the person that you owe a debt to. We have a culture that is doing all these things trying to avoid God. They're trying to avoid God. Why? Because there is a weight of a debt that is on them. And they need to understand that God has wiped the debt free and clear. You, 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 have, you have been forgiven by your Heavenly Father 2,000 years ago on the cross of Jesus Christ. Actually, the, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. In the mind of God, He was never holding your sins against you. He always had a rescue plan, and it was Jesus Christ. There are people that are avoiding God just like we avoid someone that we owe money to. Why? Because we, there's condemnation, there's guilt, there's shame, there's inadequate, inadequacies that's tied to that. That sin has given us. That these lies that have been peddled to us. And we need to awaken to the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. Come home. Come home. In fact, on the cross, Jesus dying, Jesus, the Son of God, prayed for those who were taking an innocent life. His. Jesus prayed for those that take innocent life. And what did He say to them? What was the prayer? God nuke them? No, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus died so that they and we could be forgiven. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. The work of the cross has finished everything that the fall of man, everything that sin and Satan has done to humanity. Jesus Christ has brought us back into right relationship with God. Not because God was distancing Himself from us. It's because sin, the lie of sin and darkness made us cover our eyes from the light. There is no sin greater than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's sacrifice is greater than any sin ever committed on this earth. He is the greater one. Where sin abounds, grace does much more 
abound. No sin is stronger than, the, than His grace. And no choice is greater than the choice that He made to give His life as a ransom for us all. The other good news is you have hope. Your child is in heaven with God. In Psalms 22, 9-10, it says, Yet you have brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even my mother's even at my mother's breasts, on you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us regarding Jesus that we don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize, sympathize, sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't have very many jokes, so my, my unable to say words is my, is my jokes. Think about Jesus understood. He was tempted in all the ways that we are. He understands our weaknesses, right? But he, without sin, without stumbling. Jesus knows life as a baby. Jesus knows what it's like to have someone die. He wept at the death of his friend Lazarus' tomb. And he has suffered and tasted death himself. Every aspect of the human condition, Jesus Christ, our God, has experienced and lived for us. He has lived for us. He has lived for us. And we are to live in Him. Do you understand that? Do you know that He's the mediator between man and God? He is the only mediator between man and God. He offers the perfect prayers to God. He offers the perfect praise towards God. He takes our inability to pray. He takes our inability to truly worship and praise God. He even takes our silence that we, when we don't pray at all and we don't worship God and He is constantly mediating between humanity and God. Jesus identifies with our frailty, our humanity, at every stage of life. He understands what it means to be unborn. He understands what it means to be an infant. <laughs> he understands what it means to be a child. He understands the struggle of adolescence. And He knows what it is to be an adult. In Jesus, we have a God who relates to us and invites us to Himself for comfort and hope. The reason why we come to Jesus in our pain, in our suffering, is because He understands. And because He understands, He can offer comfort. He can offer hope to us in those situations. It's more than just answers, because Jesus is alive. His presence can be filled. Filled. Field? Field. Field. Yeah. You can feel Jesus. Holy Spirit connects our spirit with His Spirit and we are one with Him and His presence can be known. It's not just answers. It's tangible feeling of God with you. 
He offers His grace. And He offers His very presence in your life. Jesus welcomed children and said that the eternal kingdom of God was custom built for kids to be with Him forever. In Luke chapter 18, verse 5 through 17, it says, it, it reads this way, it says, Now they were bringing even infants to Him that He might touch them. And when His disciples saw it, they rebuked them. See, there's something in humanity that has always thought that children were less than. Less than. That only what you produce, only what you can offer humanity gives you value. And the disciples even were believing the lie of the culture of their day. But Jesus called to them, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. I truly say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Where we place our value on humanity based on what they have to offer, God says you have value because I made you, I created you. You are in my image. This picture of Jesus Welcoming children should give us great hope and comfort for parents that have lost a baby. The image of Jesus holding your child in His lap in His eternal kingdom, waiting for the day of your entrance into His kingdom should be one of the most single comforting images for those that ask what happened to my child after a choice or a tragedy. Consider, consider King David's uh, story. King David, you all know he sinned, like we all do. He had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was married. And King David made arrangements for her husband to go to the front of the battle and for all the other soldiers to pull back so that her husband would be killed. And the reason why is because because of this affair that he had with another man's wife, she became pregnant. Well, there was complications in the pregnancy, and the baby was, was sickly. And Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, and David was fasting and praying that this baby would live. And this is where we pick up as David's in this fasting and praying to God. In 2 Samuel 12, 19, it says, But when David saw his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. 
He then went to his own house, and then he asked, and, and when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? You have fasted and you have wept for your child while he was alive. But when your child has died, you rose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Now listen to this. I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. that's the hope that we all have. For our children that we, that we have lost, our children that we have made bad decisions on, for loved ones that have went before, before us, that's the hope that we have in God. That is the hope that we have in Christ. That though we might not be able to bring them back to us, we are going to them. And you, whether you like it or not, we're getting closer and closer every day. Hallelujah. See, David had hope for an eternal reunion in heaven with his deceased child, and so should we. Ultimately, the father chooses the spiritual adoption, who's spiritually adopted into his family. This is his decision. It's not our decision. It doesn't matter who the parents are. It doesn't what the parents believed. God is the one that is in control. The Father decides. And that should be good news to us. The same Father who sought me, the same Father that saved me and sealed me, is the same Father that I'm trusting to do the right thing, the best thing for all those that never had an opportunity to put their trust in Him. I trust God. I trust God fully. I trust God completely. I trust that He always does the right thing. The good thing. The best thing. While I do not have a clear promise from Scripture, I do trust my Father and am certain by faith and guided by the Scriptures rooted in the character of my Heavenly Father that one day in His presence, by His grace, for His glory, you will hug your child again in heaven. Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. And we will weep no more. Because our Father has taken care of everything. Hallelujah. Man, I expect to see an incredible family homecoming in my Father's house. His house will will be one where you do not live no longer under shame, condemnation, or demonic torment, but rather un- under eternal healing, grace, and forgiveness. And I'm sure there's going to be eternal rejoicing. God is good even if we are bad. Thank God. God is good even if we are bad. He remains good because that is he, who He is. That is who He is to us. 
and to our children. If we learn anything from the story of the Bible, it's that God uses evil for good and brings life out of death. The worst evil in history was the killing of Jesus Christ and God used it for the greatest good for all of the world and He brought eternal life through that evil. No matter what you've done, Jesus, is, Jesus Christ and His grace and His eternal life is for you today. It's for your neighbors. It's for, it's for those that you think are unlovable. That, that in the back of your mind that you have condemned. No, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the eternal life of God is for them. Know that the eternal life does not begin the day you die. Eternal life does not begin the day you die. But rather, the day you meet Jesus. The day you meet Jesus and make Him God and Savior. That's when eternal life starts. That's when new beginning starts. That's when newness of life begins. The Holy Spirit wants heaven to come to you in this life. He wants you to experience God's goodness, heaven's bounty in this life before you die and go to heaven in the next. Any guilt, condemnation, or shame that, that sin, that the kingdom of darkness, that those that preach its false gospel has put on you, God wants to erase. He wants to erase. He wants to comfort. All that weight that you've been carrying already has been carried by Jesus Christ on the cross. See, in His death we have forgiveness. But in His resurrection we have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is from God. This isn't from you. This isn't from your right doing. This isn't from your religious actions. This isn't for something good that you did. It's from God. God did it. Independent of you. Because He's a good God. Who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. God has reconciled us. That's to say that you, He doesn't have one thing against you. He's not holding anything against you. He is 100% for you. And what does He ask us to do in return? He says, he says that God was in Christ, and He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? Go around and tell people God's not mad at them. Go tell them the good news of the Gospel. That God's for them. Not against them. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. God was in Christ on the cross. God and Christ are the same. God laid down His life for us so that we can have the ministry of no reconciliation or of reconciliation. It says that 
God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. The world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And now He entrusts us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making an appeal through us. Can you hear Paul? Can you hear God's voice in Paul's writing here? That God is wanting to make an appeal. He's trying to appeal to people. He says, we implore you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God's not holding anything against you. Stop holding things against God. He's not the one that's bringing guilt on, putting guilt on you. He's not the one that makes you feel shame. He's not the one that, that took you down those roads that you went down. He's not even holding those things against you. It's the lie of sin. It's the lie of culture. It's the lie of the kingdom of darkness. It's the lie of the pro, pro-death movement, the pro, pro-choice movement. Yes, God gives you a choice, but that doesn't mean every choice is good. And just like I said, and I, and I just understand this, it just gave me such revelation of what guilt, shame, and condemnation is. It's coming out of a, a dark cave into the noonday sun, bright, burning. And it's painful. Your eyes, you can't even see it. And you almost want to go back into the darkness. But listen to your Heavenly Father say, come out. Come out. And pretty soon, as you stand in the sun, that shame, that condemnation, that guilt, it just, it just starts being burnt away by the sun. And your eyes start popping open more and more. And you're able to see the beauty of everything that God has given you in this life. And your life is radically transformed. And you are in the warmth of the sun. And you're seeing, you're not, no longer stumbling. You're seeing brightness and you're seeing color you're seeing things like you've never seen before Jesus Christ is not just pro life he's pro your life he's pro your life every single person on this earth Jesus is pro their life he wants them to have the best life possible and church, this, is, this series is, is, is about understanding that we are ambassadors for Christ. It is our job not to bring guilt and condemnation. Our job is to bring the good news of reconciliation. The good news of hope that one day you will see that child again. And there will not be tears. There will not be shame. There won't be condemnation. There will be joy unspeakable. There'll be, there'll be healing and restoration in life. It's such good news. It's such good news. And, and, and Jesus understands what it means to be tempted. He understands what it means to live in this world. He understands to live in a culture and have to go against a culture and be a counterculture. 
to, to, to the religion of this day. He understands religious people that say rude things and mean things and condemning things. He had it set against them. Him. He was killed by them. He understands that people are broken. But He offers healing. He offers restoration. And we as a church, we need to be that same person of Jesus in this body. And with our friends and with our neighbors. Yes, we stand up for life. We stand up for righteousness. But we do not fall short of sharing the good news of the Gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that You remain the same. We thank You that You're a good God. We thank You that You understand humanity. You understand our frailty. You understand our pain. You understand our suffering. You, you understand our fear. You understand how it's so simple to make the wrong choice. You understand the pressures of culture and of this life. And Father, we thank You that in the midst of our wrong choices, in the midst of us failing, in the midst of us not trusting in You, that You are still there to turn the most evil things that we could accomplish as a humanity to turn them into something good. To redeem the darkest situations. To bring life and hope for a future. To wipe our tears away. Heavenly Father, I just pray that I as a leader of this church and of this body of believers here at Karis, that we would be ambassadors for Christ. That we would compel people, appeal to people to be reconciled with You. For You are not holding anything against them, but in Christ You have set them free. Father, I thank You. I thank You for what You're doing in this nation. And I thank You for what You're doing in Your people. And I thank You for this great awakening that's happening. We just love you and we praise you and we declare that in Christ Jesus, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.com.